0: Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maize & Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Beginning today, we're back on our weekly broadcast schedule as we begin the countdown for Season 2 under coach Jim Harbaugh. In the coming four weeks, we'll preview the season, and have you all ready for the opener against Hawaii on September 3rd. We begin with Michigan beat writer extraordinaire Nick Baumgartner from M Live. He'll join me in just a minute on our game day segment. First a few news and notes to get us started. On Monday the new Jumpman and Nike gear hit the shelves at the M-Den. Thousands of people were lined up all night uh, to get their hands on the new stuff. You can check out the Mden site to see what's new or drop by one of the stores and do a little shopping. I think it's safe to say we'll see a lot more new t-shirts, uh, sweatshirts, and hoodies in the big house this season. Practice officially gets underway next Monday. At last week's Big Ten Media Days, Jim Harbaugh more or less said the team was going back in the submarine this year and would not resurface until September 3rd. So there won't be much news coming from behind the walls of Fort Schembechler, We'll report what we hear, but other than that, we'll stick with what we do know and preview the team and coming season for the next four weeks. The game day segment with Nick is just over 30 minutes today, so I'll keep it short on the news and notes. Before we join him, I'd like to let you know there's an exciting new sports app that is about to hit the market in September. It's developed by the same team that brought us Madden Football and Basketball for EA Sports. It's unique, it's exciting, and it's for sports fans of all ages. Even if you're not a big gamer like me, I think you'll find this app very cool. It's going to be available for free from iTunes and Google Play in September. If you'd like details or a sneak peek, you can email playitfirst at yahoo.com. That's playitfirst at yahoo.com. And please include your cell phone number on the email. That's playitfirst at yahoo.com. And again, include your cell number. I'll have this info on my show notes page just in case you don't have a pen or a pencil handy. We've waited seven long months to preview this coming season, and the time has finally arrived. Let's get to it. Beat writer Nick Baumgartner from MLive is here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the vSporto network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew. With us, I think the last time uh, we had this gentleman on was just after the spring football game. Michigan beat writer Nick Baumgartner from M Live. Good to have you back, Nick.
1: Good to be here, Mike. I just, I just tweeted uh, that I was still on your show, and that must mean that football's here because every time, I think every time I talk to you in the summer, I mean, season's right around the corner. So here we go.
0: Here we go, man. I mean, uh, here it is August 1st as we tape this on a on a Monday morning, and yeah, a week from today, things get rolling in earnest. Uh, I guess I was just wondering this morning uh, if everyone's going to survive the uh, the Nike unveiling today.
1: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That was that uh, yeah, was out there until around I want to say like 2 a.m. Uh, uh, Monday morning, Sunday night, uh, and that was quite a scene. I mean, I that uh, you know we had met with some of the Nike or some of the MGen folks uh, a couple weeks ago, and they told us that you know they anticipated quite a crowd, but I don't know if anyone. I mean, there were several thousands people. Uh, that flooded the streets downtown. Uh, you know, I mean, it, you know, Jimmy King, I think, at first remarked that this felt like a, that it felt like some sort of championship parade or something, and, I mean, it kind of hit me, and I was like, well, that's, that's really kind of what it does feel like. And
0: yeah, People were thrilled, but they were out there till 2, 3, 4 in the morning, I'm sure. Yeah, that's a, a big deal, and we're going to see a lot of uh, new gear in the stands this year, so that'll be fun. Well, Big Ten Media Days uh, were last week in Chicago, Nick. Uh, Jim Harbaugh drew big crowds uh, at all of his appearances he is just always so interesting to listen to, isn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah. And this year, maybe uh, maybe more, more than last year in that I think that it, it was really striking to me that he was uh, he's more comfortable. I think he was much more comfortable talking about his players. Uh, you know, it kind of hit me last year in the summer and even in the spring and even somewhat in fall that, uh, you know, he really didn't know the team, I mean, that well. I mean, there were certain guys that he'd gotten to know a little bit, but, you know, he didn't know them on any kind of uh, intimate level. There wasn't enough time for that. Uh, he was still trying in the process of figuring that out. I think he, you know, he mentioned again earlier this week that you know that first year, especially those first few months there, uh, for a first year head coach, are truly you know uncharted water. You have no idea, you know, what's going on. And if you can remember back, I mean, he was he was playing guys at different positions in spring. He didn't know what was you know people didn't know what was going on, and he was still figuring it out. But a year removed uh, into the second year, much more comfortable, uh, knows his guys, knows who he can count on, knows who he has work to do. Um, and everybody around him seemed more comfortable as well, the players uh, and everything involved. So, you know, he, he was more relaxed, I feel like, uh, confident. His players were relaxed and confident. You know, they know what their goals are, and they know that they've got to work to get them. Uh, nobody said anything crazy, but at the same time, it just it struck me completely across the board that everybody in that Michigan contingent was just much more relaxed, much more comfortable, maybe as comfortable as I've seen uh, a Michigan team at a summer media days like that since I've been uh, since I've been covering.
0: Them. Well, we're a week away from uh, the opening of uh, Fall Camp and before camp starts officially on Monday, this Saturday Michigan hosts the barbecue in the big house and mm-hmm. th- this event Nick just seems to get bigger and bigger every year.
1: Yeah, it's really the uh maybe the only thing remaining from the Rich Rodriguez uh, era. <laughs> Rich started the barbecue uh years ago and you know Brady Hope continued it. Uh, and Jim Harbaugh's picked it right back up again. And I think it's. You know, it was a great idea by Rich a long time ago because it's been something that's been, you know, emulated and copied somewhat by uh, by a lot of these other schools. It's one of those, you know, last things of the summer that you do before you start getting getting down to business with your team. And, you know, Michigan's got a slew of visitors coming in over the years. This, is, this event has uh, given them a ton of momentum toward getting commitments on a lot of guys. It's been, you know, one that they've – Really hammered home on some kids that they're really kind of reaching for that they might not, even guys they might not be in great position for, but maybe have a chance with. They can get them on campus, uh, and then maybe squeeze an official visit out of them later in the fall. Uh, and obviously, the number one guy on that list is uh, is Najee Harris, number one player in the country. Uh, Five-star running back, who's committed to Alabama. You know, same situation like I just said. I mean, he's a guy that you know knows Michigan, uh, knows of them, knows what they can do, has, has met them before, worked with them at a satellite camp. But until you get him on campus, you know you can't really say that you've got any kind of shot at maybe changing his mind. But you know, next weekend they get that chance, and you know whether whether it happens or not, we'll see. But uh, that's something where if they can impress him uh, and some other guys as well, if they can impress him, maybe they can get a visit out of him or official visit in the fall, uh, and maybe make him think about it. So you know this is a big event; it's the biggest one in the summer, and uh, and the last one really that they'll do. Uh, until official visits come
0: around. Well, let's get to the meat and potatoes of it, Nick. Uh, Jim Harbaugh gets Season 2 underway on Monday, and I think for most fans, the focus is going to be on the quarterback battle. Uh, O'Corn, Spate, Shane Morris, uh, when September 3rd rolls around, do you have a, a gut feel right now for who we'll see under center, or do you believe, truly believe this is a competition that is undecided?
1: I think it's undecided. Uh, I really believe that. Uh, but I think it's, I think it's between... Um, and I don't think it's as wide of a net as Harbaugh's casting it. I think it's between Spate and Korn. Uh Those are the two guys, you know, depending on who you asked. Most people would tell you uh, up there, even though Harbaugh never really officially declared a leader, uh, most people would say that Wilton Spate, uh, most people who saw every practice would say Wilton Spate finished, you know, a nose ahead of John O'Corn in spring, which surprised a lot of people. Uh, one, you know, Wilton Spate got a lot better, improved more than I think people Anticipated him to improve, and John Corn did not perform uh, quite at the level they were anticipating and hoping. You know, I mean, you got to remember John Corn is the guy that Michigan staff behind the closed doors has told people since he walked on campus a year ago, this is the most talented quarterback we have, and they were including Jake Rudock in that statement when they said that. So John Corn has a lot of physical ability, he has a lot of physical talent, but you know, the consistency uh, just wasn't there. Uh, there was a lot of mistakes in terms of. Turnovers—that's really the thing. You know, John O'Corn is a guy who can make you one huge play, uh, and then uh, two minutes later, he'll, he'll throw a pick six. And that's something that Harbaugh just can't—you know—that's he can't have that in that offense. Uh, they're not built for that, uh, and that's something he's—he's he's got to figure out and got to get rid of it. Got you know, get rid of out of his game. If he can—if he can fix that, then I think John O'Corn is starter because then he's got the highest ceiling, uh, and he's a guy who can make the most plays. You know, he's the guy who can make the play when there's nothing else to be made, so to speak, like they always like to say. Uh, you know, Wilton was probably a little more consistent, but at the same time, isn't that explosive, Um, you know, and he's never never really played. He played, you know, one quarter last year in relief and obviously did a nice job, but at the same time, there's really no experience there to lean on. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I I don't think it's going to take him that long uh, to to figure it out. I mean, it may take him right up until the opener to announce it, uh, maybe even to the guys, but I think, you know, he's going into this knowing that within 10, you know, 5 to 10 days, he's going to know. I mean, he's going to know which guy got better in in the summer and he's going to know which guy, you know, didn't get as better, I guess, so to speak, uh, in the summer. And uh, as time goes on, those reps will kind of reflect that. Not that we'll see it because he won't be, we won't be there, but uh, I think that they'll have a good idea pretty quick. And the one last thing on that one, uh, the thing that he pointed out, you know, somebody asked, you know, does that give you a, does that give you a problem with trying to anticipate what your offense is going to look like? And you know, he said that's a good question because normally the quarterback dictates the offense, but those guys are are, are similar players, so it's it's not necessarily something they got to rush. But at the same time, you know, you can't take forever with it, and I'm sure that uh, you know midway through fall camp, I'm sure he'll have his answer.
0: Well, there was some thought or some talk that the uh, the team was uh, heading back down in the submarine starting next uh, Monday when practice starts, so uh, it's going to be hard to glean any kind of information uh, if the team goes quiet during the the, uh, the three week period, uh, Nick.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. I asked if uh, if that was going to occur, and uh, you know, he said uh, something along the lines of, if you guys will let me do it, then I'm going to do it. And I said, I don't, I mean, do you really have a choice? And it was kind of <laughs> like, no, you don't. And that's that's where it ended. So, yeah, I would assume for, you know, two and a half, maybe even three weeks uh, there in early August that they'll, they'll go dark. And, and when I mean go dark, they'll really go dark. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, last year at that time, you know, players weren't even talking to their parents <laughs> not, yeah. not very much during the first couple of weeks and really you know looking back on it I think that was maybe one of the more beneficial things he did uh, A lot of those guys have said that throughout the year that that first two three weeks of camp when it was just them and and only them at all times um, you know they really came together as a team and it really helped them out so you know I, I was, wasn't surprised I thought you know it, it seemed to really work for them last year uh, something that maybe only he can get away with because in many other markets, Uh, schools wouldn't tolerate it. I mean, they'd make him go out and answer questions and make him be available. Uh, I think he knows that. I think he's taking advantage of that. And I think it probably helps the team. So, you know, I wasn't surprised at all.
0: Well, in the backfield behind whoever the starting quarterback is uh, on September 3rd, uh, we think Davion Smith is still the leader. We think. Uh, Ty Isaac Mm -hmm. made his case in the spring, and uh, Drake Johnson survived his uh, forklift uh, accident. Uh, to give Michigan yeah. really a, a nice one-two-three punch. Nick, each of them brings a little bit something different to the table, but for the first time in a long time, there's some quality depth there.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, really nice, uh, you know, almost proven depth. Really. I mean, Ty Isaac, the one thing was standing there, but you know, you know what you can get from from Davion Smith if, if he's healthy, of course. Uh, you know, you're he's a guy who whose legs never stop. He's a hard guy to bring down. Uh, sort of the perfect fit for that offense in terms of, you know, a guy who, constantly gets two, three, four extra yards on every play. I mean, he's, you know, I, I did one game last year, I counted up everything, and I think Davion had, maybe it was Oregon State or one of those games, maybe even BYU, where he had something like, you know, I think he rushed for 130 yards, I think 75 of them were after contact. So, I mean, you know, that's that's the stuff Harbaugh loves. Uh, that's why I think Davion was his his favorite back last year, his ability to do that. And then, you know, Drake Johnson, obviously, it's all going to depend on the health of Drake. I mean, I know the this crazy forklifting happened and everything else, but you know, the knees, you know, I'm interested to see how the knees hold up. Cause we didn't see, you know, the Drake Johnson that I remember from late in 2014, we didn't see him last year until maybe the bowl game, a couple, a couple spurts. We saw him in the bowl game where he looked like he had some more juice in his legs. So I'll, I'll be interested to see how that works out, how much you can lean on him. But either way, uh, you know, they know they can trust Drake and he'll, he's going to play as long as he's healthy. And the ties, like, yeah, they were, they weren't sure what they were going to get out of him. Uh, there was a couple points last year where I think they were all ready to throw in the towel on that one, Ty included. Uh, but he had a uh, had a great spring. I mean, you know, everyone you know everyone that had any kind of say in it said that he had a a really really good spring. Uh, prepared hard, lost weight, got stronger, got tougher, uh, was more willing to put drop his shoulder and use the 230 pounds that he has to his advantage instead of uh, avoiding contact like he did all of last year. Uh, so I think they were hopeful that he can be a guy who, along with, you know, it can be a similar back to what Davion is, but on top of that, Ty Isaac has terrific speed, uh, and he can maybe be a guy that, you know, maybe he can, if he breaks a couple tackles, maybe he can break it the rest of the way, whereas Davion's not going to really run away from anybody. Uh, I think if they can get that, then uh, they've got three really, really good ones uh, to lean on, you know, for what will be a long season.
0: And Jim Harbaugh, as we know, likes his fullbacks, and we're going to see a couple of new faces as the, uh, the battering rams there Nick.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the, the number one was uh, Khalid Hill, uh, the, uh, the the converted tight end. Who we'll still probably see a little bit of time at tight end, but an interesting move, but one that didn't surprise me at all. Uh, something that Khalid embraced. and I think he actually wanted it to happen. You know, he's he's only six. I want to say six and one, but he's two hundred sixty pounds. He's a pretty good athlete. He can hit. He can catch. He's got soft hands and good feet. Um, you know, we'll see how that all how quickly it takes him to. Adjust to everything. I know Henry Poggi, who's also back, who had a who had a strong close last season. He admitted that you know when he transitioned to fullback last year, uh, that was something where even until maybe the third or fourth game, you know, the first couple of games he was out there kind of just guessing at uh, what he was supposed to do, and eventually it kind of clicked for him. Uh, but between those two, you know, the two two athletic guys who are big, strong guys who can do a lot of different stuff, uh, I'll be interested to see if they can. You know, I, I don't think it's going to be right out the gate like it was last year, you know, where Joe Carriage is so comfortable with the position and, and Siona Huma was also so comfortable with it. They could just hand them the ball like that, like they were doing and things were going to happen. But I do think in time you'll see an ability to maybe use a fullback in the receiving and the passing game maybe more than you ever have. Uh, but again, I think that uh, two really athletic guys were excited to play the position and willing to do it. I mean, it, from what the sounds of it, after year one, there was almost a fight between people who were trying to switch positions to fullback. Uh, because they saw how much the guy got to touch the ball and how much they played him, so uh, a desired position on the roster, no doubt, and one that uh, will be interesting to watch.
0: Well, at the wideouts, Nick, uh, Amara Darbo and Jehu Chesson are back, and they're joined by a host of young, but many uh, of them unproven talents. Still, this could be a, a pretty good uh, group with a high ceiling.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, the first things first are the guys coming back. I mean, you mentioned it. Uh, Darbo, or uh, Cheston was a first-team All-Big Ten player last year. Uh, Darbo was a uh, I believe an honorable mention, but you know Amaro loved the team in catches, Javies loved the team in yards. Uh, you know that's a that's a really good one too that you're bringing back. That's probably as talented and deep as anybody else in the country to bring back basically all of your top two receiving yards from a year ago. You know the one thing the one thing to watch is Javies and J, Chesson, J. knee to see if how healthy he is when everything starts. You know Harbaugh hasn't still hasn't come out yet and said 100 percent that he's ready to go. A couple of players even said earlier this week that. And, you know, J.U. was still sort of rehabbing that knee and wasn't totally back in off-season workouts, but they still have a month to go uh, before the season begins. So, at worst, maybe it takes him a couple of games to get back into that old form. Uh, but Amara Darbo was fantastic in the spring. He was, you know, Harbaugh has said many times now that he thinks he's now the best receiver on the team. He so said, do you think he elevated himself above J.U.? And J.U.'s number two, but, you know, obviously that could change. A lot of competition going on there. Uh, and then the good thing that they have is, like you said, Mike, they bring in, I want to say it's five or six uh, true freshmen uh, that can play receiver. And, you know, you did with the addition of, you know, obviously Grant Perry's still there. Drake Harris is still there. Uh, Maurice waves when he gets back from his foot, but all those young guys will now have the chance for, you know, only one year, but still they get the one year of watching uh, Amara and J.U. Chesson work. And I think that's, that's the big key. Is, you know, J.U. Chesson and Amara Darbo didn't have that when they came in here. Uh, Jeremy Gallen didn't have that when he came in here. A lot of those guys, had to figure it out on their own. Well, these these young guys now, at receiver, now have two, you know, shining examples, really, uh, 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 to watch in terms of how they prepare, how they block, how they run the routes, how they finish plays, and everything else. Because if you asked, you know, Jim Harbaugh, who his top five most dependable players were, I think Amar Darbo and J.O. Chess would be both in the top five uh, on that list. So uh, a lot of, a lot of room for growth for those young guys, and I think it's a great opportunity for them to study and watch how those guys do, because if you're Jed fish, you just say, okay, we'll just do it the way they did it, because they've sort of mastered how we do things here, and uh, I think that's a big benefit for everyone involved.
0: Well, going into spring practice, uh, some of us thought the tight end uh, was thin after Jake bought the tight end spot, I should say. Uh, but with mm-hmm. Wheatley, Bunting, Zach Gentry, all emerging, having very good springs, that is now considered a, a deep position group, Nick.
1: Yeah, I'm getting deeper, as you got uh, John McKeon was here in, in the spring, and then uh, Devin Asiasi of California will be here as well. Uh, so all of a sudden, like you said, yeah. I mean, uh, something that looks thin now all of a sudden looks like uh, where's you know where's all that playing time going to come from, and who's going to get who's going to get it? I mean, Terrell Wheatley looked fantastic uh, in the spring, looked like a difference maker. I mean, a guy that's you know with this combination, scary combination of size and speed and hands and everything else. I mean, it took it took five minutes, you know, Mike in Florida to understand why they didn't move him to offensive line. You know, there were so many people that asked that question as. Is Wheatley going to get moved to offensive line? Is maybe he going to play? Maybe he'll play defensive end. I don't know. I saw him run two routes, and I was like, "Well, I know why they never moved him because this guy can catch everything. He's got great feet. Uh, he's not a breakaway player or anything, but I mean, he can run. He can run away from a slow linebacker without much problem. So uh, he looks like a scary talent who's still trying to learn the position, I'm sure. But a guy that uh, has a super high ceiling uh, and can be really, really good for them. And then you, know, you mentioned Zach Gentry, a guy who at the beginning of spring looked completely lost but by the end of it uh, looked like a weapon, looked like a guy who can get on the field and, and make some things happen. I mean, you know, scary fast with those long legs and he's, he's added weight. He's up around 250 pounds, uh, had figured out, you know, has, has figured out a little bit better how to catch the ball. Uh, I think he, he understands the routes, everything else, being a former quarterback. Uh, but he looked like a guy who that's, you know, tight end does you know, kind of looks like his natural position, so to speak. So, uh, and we'll have to wait and see what Ian Bunting can do. That's still a guy who we're waiting to see if he can turn a corner. Uh, and then the young guys, because, you know, again, I was very impressed with Sean McKee, and I thought he had a really good spring uh, for a true freshman. We haven't got to see Asi yet, but very talented group, no question about it. And I think a lot of them are going to play. I think four at least are going to get snaps, and you might even see five at some point over time, but I think a lot of them are going to get a chance. Uh, and, you know, certainly, as we know, they use – multiple tight ends in a lot of sets. So uh, I think a lot of guys are going to see time. A lot of guys have a chance to uh, prove themselves.
0: You no, know, I think a never, never a bad thing to have that kind of depth and talent uh, no. at a position group. The one position group that I think I'm focused on more than any, though, Nick, and worries me more than any still is that offensive line. I mean, plenty of experience. We all know that now. But this group still has plenty to prove.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I remember seeing, I think it was Bruce Feldman who does a terrific job covering uh, college football nationally. I think Bruce had ranked Michigan's ultimate line is like, the third best in the country or something like that. And I kind of laughed and joked. I was like, well, I think you're doing that because, you know, they have all these fifth-year seniors, and I understand that. I mean, if you're not watching it as closely as, like, you or I do, Mike, you, 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 you'd probably look at that and say, oh, well, it must be great. Uh, but like you said, I mean, yeah, there's – the questions are, uh, is experience everything? And is, is experience the only thing you have because there's nobody behind them uh, that's good enough to take their job? And that's been the question with – a Kyle Kalis, uh, a Ben Braden, and an Eric Magnuson. Uh, really, with Kalis and Braden, that's been the question for almost their whole career. I mean, that's, you know, you know, Kalis at times can still look like, can give you shades of the guy who was this top-notch recruit and everybody everybody thought he was going to be a star and everything else. I mean, he's still, there's, that's still in there, and you can still see that at times. But then there's other, you know, two snaps later, it'll be something where he just he's catching air and you don't know what he's doing. And it's just, it blows up a play. Uh, and then Braden, I thought he improved last year. That he got better. Uh, he started out terribly as the year started, but got better as the year went on. I think maybe maybe he can turn a corner and maybe he can be a better football player this year because I think that the last year really helped him out a lot. I still don't know about Kalis. and Magnuson is still, uh, you know, he's up and down, but I think he's he's maybe more consistent than the, than the other two. Uh, and I guess the other question, which Honestly, this is the surprising part for me, but I I don't think Mason Cole at center will be a problem. I think that that's the the natural thing everybody looks at, and they say, well, you're replacing Graham Glasgow, who was easily your best player last year up front, uh, with a guy who's never played center before. But you've got to remember when Mason Cole came in here, uh, came to Michigan, he was projected as an interior lineman. Uh, He was supposed to be a guard, and they made him play left tackle because they didn't have anybody that could play left tackle, and he did it fine. I mean, he was a true freshman starter, the only guy ever to do that here. He's the smartest lineman they have. Uh, in terms of being able to adapt and catch up to things and internalize information. And the second smartest lineman might be Grant Newsom, who's the uh, guy who's going to take over for him at left tackle. Same thing, a guy who can take information in uh, really quickly, put it together on the field, doesn't make a whole lot of mental errors and and that type of stuff. And then, you know, obviously Cole is easily their best offensive lineman physically as well. So I think that will help out. Um, more than people realize, maybe up at first, but the, really the key is going to be those seniors. It's, it's, that's I would be more concerned about them than I would be anything else in terms of when are they going to turn the corner and when are they going to become fifth-year senior offensive linemen. And I think that's if they can do that and play up to that standard, then I think they'll have a fine year. But you're right. I mean, that's a that's a question mark, and that's one of those things that we just have to see it. You know, we have to see how they perform because they can't say anything anymore. We know what you know. We've talked to them a thousand times. We just got to see it on the field, and if they play if they play the way they did in the Super Bowl uh, at the end of the year last year, then I think they'll be okay. But if they play the way they did against Ohio State or Penn State or any of those weeks before, then it could be a long road.
0: With us here on our game day segment this week, as we start the previews uh, in hopes of the uh, the big opener against Hawaii on September third, is uh, Michigan beat writer Nick Baumgartner from M Live. Nick, on defense, we've heard so much about Don Brown. Uh, former players, loved him. He's highly regarded in coaching circles around the country. What makes Don Brown different than anyone else?
1: Yeah, he's just, I mean, the path he's taken is so unique. I mean, he's hes coached at all these small schools up in the Northeast. He coached baseball at one point. Uh, he was a head coach at, at UMass, uh, brought them to the national uh, championship game, and won the play. And the theme that I got throughout, well, number one, was everywhere he'd been, everywhere he'd been the team had gotten better uh and they'd either won at the highest level they'd ever won at or they had you know gotten off the mat and gotten themselves respectable uh and then two you know players love him because he's he's a guy in coaching who still has relationships with guys that he coached 20 years ago 15 years ago five years ago uh he he connects with them uh you know they like him i think he gets to know them on a personal level and he's the type of guy they want to play for and i think that that's that's something that shines through uh, with coaches who've been around. It reminded me a lot of uh, of Greg Madison, honestly, because that's exactly how it is with with Greg Madison. You can talk to, you know, Jared Irons, who played for Greg, you know, forever ago, and he still loves him. Uh, and the same thing. And Greg could tell you a story about Jared Irons every different every day, and they haven't they haven't been together on the field in forever. And I think that's. It was the same way with Don Brown. There were so many guys that you could talk to that were that played for him in the nineties or whatever it might have been, and they just you know it was you know they had the time of their life playing for him. And you know there were times where he was a coordinator at a school, and they they were they were more fond of him than they were the head coach. So uh, I think that's that's a big part of why he's been successful. He's he's pretty good at getting guys to buy in, and that's that, that we saw that some in the spring. There wasn't a whole lot of pushback there. They changed a lot of stuff. Uh, and It was stuff that was exciting for the guys. They all bought into it, and. Uh, They installed everything pretty quickly, so you know we'll see how it translates. I think this is probably the most talented defense he's ever gotten a chance to work with in in terms of NFL talent and everything else, and and I think he's he's also interested in the challenge. I think that's one thing that that he'd said that this is a huge challenge for him. He's done about everything else in his career, Uh, and if he could uh, you know help this team reach new heights, I think that'd be a you know quite a quite a cap to this to the 60s for him he's now 60 years old.
0: Well, just about every preseason magazine, Nick, I've picked up says Michigan's defensive line group this year could be one of its best ever. And, you know, I've been around long enough to see some pretty good defensive line groups come through. But on paper, this is a very yeah. imposing group of players with depth.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to compare it to what Alabama does. Alabama seems to just have a, have a way of having 10 guys <laughs> every year who are like all-conference or NFL-type bodies. This is about as close as you might get. Uh, to be quite honest, I mean, this is this is a true eight-man rotation with five, maybe six guys. If I'm thinking off the top of my head, at least five who can play in the NFL. I mean, that's probably six uh, guys that are just, you know. And you look at Wormley, who's been here and played every position uh, and done it for three years. And you know, we talked. There's a bunch of people at Media Day. You talked to several different offensive players and Wormley's name was brought up with Joey Bosa as one of the best defensive linemen in the league last year so people you know respect the heck out of him and what he's been able to accomplish you know I thought Chris Wormley would have been drafted rather high I thought he would have went ahead of Willie Henry if he wanted to go out last year he chose to come back so so there you go you got an NFL player coming back and Chris Wormley you've got Ryan Glasgow who I thought was playing at an NFL type level before he hurt his shoulder he's back he's healthy Brian Monet, who the staff loved, who hurt his ankle before he even really got to do anything, is back. And he's obviously a physical, you know, freak. Maurice Hurst had the best season he's had. Again, a guy with NFL potential who can get get quarterback, get the backfield, make things uncomfortable for you. Taco Charlton, same thing. Physical, the body, everything else, and all the athletic attributes that go with it. And then you put, you know, Rashawn Gary in there, uh, who I have seen, you know, I mean, that's the guy. I don't normally jump on the old... You know, is this freshman going to be ready to play right now? Is this guy going to be ready to go right now? The only guy that I was ever, okay, yeah, he's probably going to be ready to start immediately was Peppers. Mm-hmm. And I would add Rashawn Gary to that list. I think Rashawn Gary will be physically able to go in and win a job in camp without having been here in spring, even with this defensive line being as deep as this. Even if he doesn't win the job, he will certainly be in the rotation and certainly be able to play. I mean, he's a physical monster, fast, great hands, extremely powerful, uh, who can play on the edge, or he can play inside. And that's the other thing, is you've got eight, you've got an eight-man rotation with four guys who can play two or maybe three spots. And Greg Madison has spent all summer with a, the biggest grin on his face that I've seen ever, and uh, I think that there's a reason why for it. I think these guys are the best defensive line in the league and maybe one of the best, if not the best, in the country. And I think if they stay healthy, uh, they'll have a chance to prove that.
0: Well, you mentioned Jabril Peppers. Uh, he's been compared now to Charles Woodson and other great two-way players of the past. Jim Harbaugh said this off-season that he's coached very few players at the college or pro level who understand yep. the concept the first time you explain it to them. And Don Brown says he's just different. Uh, what a weapon this kid is, Nick.
1: Yeah, I mean Harbaugh basically called him a you know called him an NFL player. I mean, he said he, he called him a world-class athlete, uh, a guy who like he, like you said it. He said if your drill played offense exclusively, he'd be the team's best slot receiver, maybe the best running back, maybe the best outside receiver as it is. He's the best defensive back they have. Uh, he's going to play linebacker, overturn kicks, do everything else, never complains about it, wants to do it all, uh, doesn't ask it to be ask his load lightened. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a guy who can do everything, and I think that if you're being rational, you understand that you probably only have him for one more year so I think they are planning to use him uh, in just about every single possible way they can, which is part of the reason why I think you saw him play a little, play a little bit at hybrid linebacker spot, which I think will be his, you know, home base so to speak for a while. I think that that's he's the type of guy who can fill the role of that. You know, he can get in the backfield, he can make plays on the quarterback, he can rack up tackles for loss. Uh, I think I averaged out what the. Sam linebacker's stats were for Don Brown over the last couple of years, and it was somewhere, you know, 15, 16 tackles for loss every year, a handful of sacks, and just a guy who was all over the field making plays. I think that's what they hope he can be. But the other wrinkle, you know, is that you can put him in on offense anywhere, and it's it's an immediate head-turning thing for the defense. And the advantage that they really get from it is, is every week they can add something that no one has seen on tape. And no one is ready for it. And that is that is just the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate advantage. As you said, Jim Harbaugh has said many times that all you have to do with Jabril is tell him what he's supposed to do, and then 20 minutes later he's doing it on the field and he's not making the same mistake twice. He can take information uh, and put it together so fast, and that allows them to do so many different things offensively uh, with him that scares people uh, and and really makes defenses think. So... You know, just a huge, huge weapon for them. The best athlete on the team, maybe the best athlete in the country, uh, and a true game-changing type player. A lot of things he's got to improve upon as well. I mean, it, in terms of making some of those plays, you know, we've got to see it. I think he was close a lot of times last year to make just see some of these crazy game-breaking plays. Uh, you know, that that would be one thing where I would say, you know, some improvement needs to happen. He still hasn't had a pick yet. Uh, you know, those types of things. Make, you know, forcing turnovers, causing turnovers you know, creating defensive touchdowns. I mean, the, the bar is so high for him and the potential is so great that I think it's fair to almost, you know, it might seem unfair, but I think it's even it's fair to expect those types of things from him because he's such a great athlete. And I think he expects those from himself and, uh, you know, we'll see if he can get it done.
0: Well, the expectation meter uh, is in the red and we can expect that to go crazy uh, in the next three or four weeks as we approach the Hawaii opener. And, you know, I know fans get sick of hearing this, but I think we have to keep in mind, and I've always believed it's true. Uh, offense puts them in the seats, defense wins championships. Uh-huh. And the best thing about having a defense like this, Nick, because we know it's going to be good, is you can take more time building that offense, uh, building cohesion with a new quarterback. That is a luxury that cannot be understated, Nick.
1: Totally. And and the only thing that, and it should be noted, the only thing that can torpedo a top four, top five, top three defense like this is an offense that is just completely and totally inept. Uh, you know, we saw years here in the previous regime where they had really, really good defenses that were just torpedoed because the offense just kept killing them. I mean, they kept putting them in these terrible spots. The one thing to to take into mind there is that, you know, it might be something where they struggle in the first couple of games, like you said, or it may take, take a minute, uh, for them to get their feet under them. But at the same time, you got to remember that defense is so good that as long as they're not killing them, as long as they're not putting them in these terrible spots, uh, you know, defense will take care of business. I mean, it, if it's one thing where you go, out, you go out and they tell them against a lesser opponent, hey, we only need you to score 10 points, we'll get the job done, that's a pretty good luxury. I mean, that's and that's the thing that, you know, if they stay healthy throughout the rest of the year, if the offense continues to improve and becomes even close to what it was last year by the end of the year, uh, if the defense is as good as everybody thinks it'll be, then that is certainly something you can lean on in any game. You know, and that's, that's one thing, too, I get a lot of questions about you know how typical is that road schedule for them at the end of the year with the at Michigan State, at Iowa, at Ohio State? And my answer has always been if your defense is truly as good as its potential uh, shows and what it can be, if it, if it reaches that level, then you should be fine in, in some of those road games because that's the way you win on the road. You go into someone's building and you don't let them do anything because your defense is just completely taking them out of the game. And if, the, if Michigan's defense can reach the level of potential that I think a lot of people think they they have, which is number one. Uh, then then those road games all of a sudden become a little a e- little easier to win because, you know, I just I think they're going to be tough to move on. I don't, it's it's the looking across the board. Jordan Lewis is the best corner I've seen at Michigan since I've been covering them. Jerry Peppers is a dynamic athlete. They bring back everyone on the defensive line. The only questions they have are a linebacker, but they're putting Peppers there now, so it's just like I mean they're just loaded across the board. So the defense holds up, then. uh And, yeah, it's going to be a really special year for
0: Michigan. I think everyone agrees with that, and uh, we're in wait-and-see mode for the next uh, three and a half, well, actually, next month. We have a kickoff again uh, for the openers on September 3rd, but we'll be able to talk and talk and talk for the next month, but we uh, won't see results until uh, September 3rd, but it's going to be an exciting season. So our guest today on the show and our first preview in the month of August uh, has been Michigan beat writer Nick Baumgartner from MLive. Nick, as always, a pleasure, and uh, I know... Uh, my listeners love hearing from you, so we'll get you back soon once the season starts rolling several times. Absolutely, Mike, anytime. Wolverine Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the vSporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew. On Wolverine Quick Hits today, thanks to Michigan beat writer Nick Baumgartner from MLive for joining us. Nick does a fantastic job covering the team, and he'll be back with us many times this fall. Next week, the radio voice of Michigan football joins us. Jim Brandstetter will be my guest. He's a tough guy to pin down because of his schedule, doing radio color for the Lions, and then play by play for Michigan makes him a very busy guy. So, right now was a good time to get him. He's a great guy and I'm sure you'll enjoy his insight into Jim Harbaugh and this year's team, so don't miss that next week. Before we close, I'd like to remind you again that there is an exciting new sports app that is about to hit the market in September, developed by the same team that brought us Madden Football and Basketball for EA Sports. It's unique, it's exciting, and for sports fans of all ages. Even if you're not a big gamer, and that includes me, I think you'll find this app very cool. It will be available for free from iTunes and Google Play in September. If you'd like details or a sneak peek, you can email playatfirst at yahoo.com and include your cell phone number in the email. That's playatfirst at yahoo.com and include your cell phone number, please. I'll have this info on my show notes page in case you don't have a pen or a pencil handy. The Michigan Man app is available in the iTunes and Google Play stores, and this fall we'll join the team at iHeartRadio. So get ready for the upcoming season and check out one of my free apps. That will do it for this week. Don't forget to join us again next week as we continue our countdown to the opener with Michigan football radio voice Jim Brandstatter. Until then, have a great Wolverine week, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Take care, and as always, Go Blue!